You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Judy DeFeo, and she is CEO of Jade Financial Solutions. We're going to talk to her about the work they do with companies on bookkeeping, accounting, and really kind of understanding how to analyze, structure, understand your business better by looking at the numbers. I think this is, I think this is an area that a lot of business owners kind of avoid, <laughs> maybe because they, they see it as a lot of work. And I think if you really look at it closely and you, and you think about it more strategically, the numbers actually will tell you a lot about your business. And what's happening, what's working, what's not working, and can be a great tool, particularly if you kind of take the time to do it and if you find the right people to help you do it, are kind of the two key things I find with folks that struggle with the number side of it. So I'm excited. The conversation, uh, I always love kind of getting into the understanding what big businesses run and how you can use better data around that. With that, Judy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of background. Tell us, how did you get into this? Did you, in kindergarten, did you tell everyone you wanted to be a financial expert? What was the story that got you into this work? No, actually, I used to threaten my mother that I was going to be a flight attendant. (laughs) Stewardess, as they called it. Yeah, I was just going to say, it hasn't always been flight attendant. Uh, But no, no, I did not ever dream of doing this. In fact, I never even thought about having my own business. I didn't grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. My family went out to work for either big business or the other side were all psychiatrists and psychologists. Oh, that must have been a fun, fun (laughs) family gathering. It was an interesting mix there. And um, so I followed the path of going to work uh, in the corporate world. And I worked for Goldman Sachs, where I had a, a great career, worked with many, many wonderful, wonderful people and I was there for 10 years in the office and then I resigned I was raising kids and Mm -hmm. when you work for a company like Goldman you give your life to them they they compensate you very well Uh, they were very good to me but it was very difficult to balance the family so that was a very very difficult decision to make and it was about two years in the making of what should I do do I be a stay-at-home mom a part-time mom yeah. You know, a no time mom, a full time mom. You know? yeah. <laughs> so I made the decision to leave. And when I did, they allowed me to stay on remotely working at home, which back then, this was back in 97, no one did that. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, when I think about how I got my information to me, you know, and, and the mailings that we would do back and forth, and dollars we spent in the post office just mailing papers and papers and papers back and forth, it's just crazy. <laughs> so I did that for five years. And um, then for a number of reasons, uh, the firm had to let go of consultants. I wasn't an employee anymore. I was a consultant. Yeah. So I missed out on the big IPO, which was a bummer. But, oh, uh, no. but I was happy to be working at home. Anyway, yeah. so 
you know, I had to think about, you know, I had been working since I was 14 years old. What was I going to do yeah. now? Yeah. Uh, yes, I had just had a third child, but I needed something else. So I saw this article in the Wall Street Journal about this association called American Association of Daily Money Managers. I think it still exists. And they were having a big conference down in Virginia in two weeks. So I quickly went to a print shop, made up a name, got some business cards and headed on down there. And what they did was they worked with either busy professionals, you know, who didn't have time to do their own finances or elderly people who didn't have family nearby to help them with their finances. So sure. I figured, well, hey, I could do this. You know, I do the finances in my home. I did finance at, at Goldman Sachs. This has to be a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. So I quickly did a little bit of networking and I got my first client, which was an elderly woman. And I would go to her house and I'd help her with her finances. And I soon realized that the elderly, as sweet as they are, they just want conversation and company. And I wanted to work with numbers. I just wanted to work so and go and go to the next client. Yeah. So I realized this is not going to work for me. How can I? And, and I started conversations with colleagues. And, you know, I heard about this software called QuickBooks. Well, you know, at the time I hadn't even heard about it because Goldman didn't use QuickBooks. Yeah. So, yeah. so I learned a bit about that, did more networking, got another client who is now a business. And I'm like, this is great. I love it. And I was able to apply a lot of my skills from Goldman in number crunching to small business and what an impact you can make. And it yeah. was different. It, you know, it took me a while to really uh, understand and appreciate what small business goes through because, as I said, I didn't grow up with entrepreneurs. We all worked in the corporate world. I did not understand, you know, how many small businesses there were, the challenges that they go through. So it took me a while to kind of get that appreciation. But I saw early on the impact that it is on a small business owner to know and understand their numbers and yeah. then to be able to use that to make better business decisions. And I was amazed in the very beginning because I was always a very organized person. What do you mean you don't like know your total <laughs> profit? Or, or where are all your invoices? Like, I couldn't understand that they were not organized and how they still grew a business in spite of themselves. And not yeah. everybody's like that. Some people, some clients come to us and yeah. they're, they're very organized and they're just making a change. Others to this day come sometimes and it just amazes me that yeah. in spite of themselves, they're still in business. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. it, but then you have to ask the question, how much better can you be and how much more growth if you really understood your numbers and what they meant? Yeah. Well, I think there's also uh, at least one that comes up for me a lot is what do you need to change about your thinking or your priorities or the way you kind of make decisions that would start allowing you to do that? Because I think, I think a lot of times there's just fear, right? There's just fear of what am I going to learn? If I actually get in there, what am I going to learn? What is that going to tell me? And I, I may want to operate just in bliss, ignorant bliss for a while <laughs> before yeah. I have to do it. But. Yeah, they, I, I think there's some of that. I think, I think sometimes it's just a fear of letting go and letting yeah. somebody else look and at this and help you with it, especially mm -hmm. somebody who's not an employee of your organization yeah. or in a very, very small business. Sometimes, you know, there this could be trust issues. Yeah. But as far as the fear of knowing, I mean, we may come across that. I think it's more 
they know and then they're just too busy to do anything about yeah. it. You know, it's just a time. Small yeah. business owners, they're challenged for time a lot and they wear many hats. Mm-hmm. And they're changing them frequently. <laughs> well, now, of course, the, these last few months, so much has changed on them. Yeah. But even more important to look at your numbers. You know, yeah. you don't know where you're going and how do you get to where you want to go if you don't even know what that place is. Yeah. You know, how do you even know? I mean, we talk to clients and, you know, one of the first things we ask our prospects is, what are your goals? Well, and now we ask, what were your goals pre-COVID? What are your goals mm-hmm. post-COVID now? And what are you looking for? Like when you ask when you ask them about their goals, are you looking for financial metrics? Are you looking for business metrics? We're, we're looking, looking for, for a few things. Yeah. You know, all of the above. So definitely, you know, we're looking at uh, revenue. What, what's your goal in revenue? When do you think you might want to retire and how does this affect your personal life because for a small business owner their business does affect their personal life you know when do you want to retire where do you want to retire to what kind of a lifestyle do you want to live how much money do you need to live that lifestyle or to retire at that lifestyle so and then it all plays back to well then you know where do we have to get this business to be so that you can live that lifestyle yeah it's kind of reverse engineering and in terms of if that is unclear, like if you sit down with a client and and they're either I don't know or they're giving you sets of goals that are are not aligned, are <laughs> not synchronized, how do you work with that? I mean, is that something you need to do before you can dig into things? Is this now kind of become no. an engagement goal for you as you work with them? It's definitely an engagement goal, and there are people who we you know prospects we talk to and they don't really have goals; they never thought about it. You know, mm-hmm. well, where do you want your revenue to be this year? This, let's say it was a million dollars last year. Where do you want it to be this year? Oh, about the same. Well, no, that's not a goal unless that really is your goal. You know, yeah. some people just want the status quo and don't want growth. And that's OK. Yeah. That's totally OK. Yeah. But then we still have to work towards keeping the status quo. You know, look what happened this year. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Flat is the new increase this year. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And some people are just trying to get back up to that. Some people aren't aren't going to make it. But, you know, we can work with whatever it is. And if they don't have goals, but they know they should have goals, showing them the numbers, either way, showing them their their numbers and their margins on things, their profitability, that's going to help you to reach your goal, whether your goal is to stay flat or your goal is to grow tenfold. Mm -hmm. You can't do either one without knowing where you are are and what what causes it to be that way. Yeah. Well, and I find, you know, a lot of times, you know, when I'm working with strategy on companies, we'll sit down, we'll kind of look at, try to use the numbers to understand some of these, yeah, where, where is your profit coming from, where your costs really going? And, and a lot of times I find that the quote-unquote numbers at the company are very tax-focused, right? Like, what do I need to report, you know, for tax purposes, for tax returns? But they really don't have great data, or at least not readily available, great data around, yeah, what are they spending on different clients? What are they spending on different services? What is the revenue? You know, what's the profit? Like, how do you help? Talk to me about that process of helping a company go from kind of a, a tax reporting numbers thinking mindset to a more, how do I really use numbers to understand my business performance yeah. model? So when we talk to a prospect, so our, our main hub of software, if you will, is QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. And I always say that QuickBooks is great because it keeps you nice and organized. And if you do things correct and accurate throughout the year, you can hit a button and give reports to your uh, tax preparer to do a accurate tax return. That's mm-hmm. great. Everybody needs to have that. But we 
take a different approach and you know b keeping tax in mind and we don't do any tax prep we work very closely with the yeah. our clients tax preparers uh, and we know enough to know when we have to ask certain questions so that we can reduce our clients tax liability so mm -hmm. it's not that we ignore it we don't so it's always there but our focus is on the day-to-day -day. so if our client is a project-based client let's say a contractor Mm -hmm. uh, he's building a home. Well, if you don't know your profitability per project, how do you cost out your next project? Yeah. So if you show them, you know, this was the revenue, this is what you estimate, this is what you estimated your revenue to be, this was your actual revenue, this is what you estimated your expenses to be, but look at this actual expenses, they crept up. While they increased, did you increase the revenue or did you just let that slip on by? What is the margin? So we get down to the real nitty gritty. And when you see it in black and white, because many, many small business owners think they know their numbers and some do, they're in their head. But when you put it in black and white, it is so much more powerful. Yeah. So we, you know, for a project-based small business, we'll look at it per project. Uh, we have clients who sell inventory. We will break it down to a cost per unit. And it's mind-boggling. Talk about selling e-commerce, which has grown so much over the last few months, obviously. Yeah. Amazon, well, we all love Amazon. They have huge fees. Yeah. And so you have to make sure you are costing your product correct or else three quarters of it is going to go to Amazon. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. No, and you see, you know, and they see they're selling, look, I'm selling so much and, you know, my quantity is going up, 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 you know, but what is your margin and what is your net profit? At yeah. the end of the day, I don't care if you have $10 million in revenue. If you don't have a net profit, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. I always joked. I'd, I'd rather have a, a million dollar business at a you know twenty five percent, you know, net profit than right. than a ten million dollar business at a half percent right. exactly. or, or no and, percent and, profit. Right. Or the small yeah. business owners. How many small business owners are in business and they don't even take a salary from the business? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, the one I run into a lot is you know the owners will say, "Oh, great, you know, I made half a million dollars, or the company made was profitable half a million dollars last year." And then you know I start talking about, "Okay, well, what work do you do in the company, and what are you paying yourself?" You know, and it turns out they're a full-time, if not 60-hour-a-week employee on the company. And by the time we factor that in, and all of a sudden we're down to a $200,000 profit because, because they're really including their salary in the right. profit of the take, company. You have to take the owner's salary out yeah. when you're looking at your profitability. Yeah. And are you paying yourself your worth? You didn't get into business to be poor. So <laughs> if it turns out, you know, to your point, if you're working 60, 70 hour weeks, are you compensating yourself yeah. for that? What would it cost to pay somebody to do what you do? Yeah. And yeah, you should be paying trade. yourself that much and more. Yeah, plus whatever profit you have for ownership. Yeah, that's always a funny one. I find people kind of confuse the role, the salary I'm getting for the role I'm performing in the company, and I might be an owner, but I'm also an employee essentially, versus the profit, which is really as a as an equity holder, what is my share of of profits at the company? Well, there ho hopefully there is a profit to share. Yeah, or, <laughs> no. yeah, or worse, like what's my right. what's my liability of the losses that exactly. I need to exactly, yeah. exactly, and people are feeling that pain now. I mean, the last yeah. few months, you know. We've taken more of a proactive approach with our clients as far as cash goes, mm -hmm. you know, because some people, their business was cut in half, some was cut out completely. 
yeah. you know, many, many different scenarios for, for people the last few months. And, you know, some people got their loans, some people did not get loans mm -hmm. for one reason or another. And so everybody's got to take a very close look at how long is their cash going to last mm -hmm. before they have to go under. Yeah. So we've been spending an enormous amount of time doing cash flow projections going out week by week, month by month. How long is this money going to last you? Yeah. Uh, now, we've always done that with many of our clients. Some of our clients don't opt into it. It is very it is a lot of time to do cash flow projections, but you know, think of a startup business that has investor money. In. Yep. How long is that going to last? So those are some of the things that we do that we've been doing more of just to help people get through these trying times that we are in right now. Yeah, I mean, clearly in these kind of situations, having a good cash flow model is is great. But I think in all situations, I mean, I think that having having a system for being able to project you know cash over the next 12, 24, even 36 months, depending on kind of the nature of the business, can become a huge strategic tool. I mean, we do it a lot on strategy just because... Sometimes we're worried about, do we have enough cash? Sometimes we're worried, do we have too much cash, right? Are we not being as aggressive as we could be in terms of you know, finding new opportunities, new markets, new products, and having that cash flow analysis tool that allows you to model that quickly is, can be really, really valuable. Right, right. Because you may pay too much tax if you have too much Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you may have too much tax, you may, to you may miss at. the boat. I mean, right. you, may, you may realize you could be more aggressive with going to market, you know, Absolutely. doing the marketing because it's going to pay itself back it in a is. couple months. It is. When we get people to understand that they need to look at cash, it is eye-opening for them. Yeah. I, you know, there's so many different ways you can look at it, you know, just looking at if you can get your customers to pay you quicker. You know, oh, yeah. if they have net 30, and let's say you get them to pay in 15 days, what does that do to your cash? And yeah. then reverse that on the vendor side. Why are you paying net 30 immediately just because you like to pay bills? Mm -hmm. What does this do to your cash if you pay them net 30? I'm not saying to pay them late, yeah. but, you know, or if you can get further terms, you know, whatever. So those are the things, the strategy that comes out of some of the cash flow projection work that we do. Yeah. How else do you use? I mean, I, I'm always looking for kind of interesting ways of providing metrics and KPIs to executives, to leaders, to help them understand or, or see better how the business is performing. What other kind of tools or or things that you find are, are good for particularly service companies around the things you can learn from the numbers that can give feedback to managers, to executives around, you know, how things are doing, performance of the business, where to kind of create more focus or where you need to kind of kind of go in and figure out how to diagnose if something's going wrong. Tell me more about how you can use some of these financial tools to do that. You know, from a high level, you want to look at your expense to revenue ratio. What What is that? You mm -hmm. want to look at your break even point. You want to look at your gross profit, not just your net profit. You want to look, you know, not so much on a service industry. There may not be so much cost of goods, but you know, if you have inventory or there's just cost of sales, if you, mm -hmm. if you are a service industry and you have a lot of labor, you know, what is that percentage as a part of your revenue? Those are very strong metrics to look at and very simple to do from a, a very basic 
P&L. And then, you know, as I said before, just getting into the nitty-gritty detail uh, when you're looking at specific projects. You want to look at specific expenses within those projects. You want to look at your unit cost. And when you're looking at unit cost, there's usually labor involved in that as well, especially yeah. if you're a manufacturer. There's freight involved in that. Uh, one of the things that QuickBooks does not do well is does not allow you to include that labor piece in your calculation natively within QuickBooks unless you're using Intuit's payroll, which many people do not. So then we have to do that outside of QuickBooks. But that labor piece is very, very important. If you're, if you're looking at the cost of producing an item, it's not just the materials. There's labor. Oh, yeah. There. There's freight in there. So you have to take all of that into consideration. Yeah, I see that in services all the time where it's, um, you know, we'll look at clients and they're like, oh, we love this client. You know, it's really profitable looking at how much revenue. And then then we look back at, well, how much time are you spending in your different clients? Exactly. And they realize they're spending 80% of their time on this one client. Right. So when we do the, the net profit on it, it's like, eh, this is negative, right? Yeah. You're, you're, or your hourly rate on this client is $24 and on this one, it's 150 So Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point because we recommend to our clients and, and we do it ourselves. You know, we don't, we we don't charge our clients by the hour. We charge mm -hmm. them per service that we do with an yeah. upfront agreement, but we still track our time. Yeah. It's really important to look at that, whether you're billing somebody by time or not, because again, you think you know how much time you spent on somebody, you don't know until it's really in black and white. You may yeah. have an idea, but that's something you really need to look at. And those are great metrics to measure because then when you go back and say you know I charge this person you know five dollars but I spend 12 hours we're now in the negative from a labor standpoint yeah. it doesn't make sense even though the raw materials seem you know I may have purchased it for a dollar and sold it for five dollars but what to spend you know 12 hours doing something yeah so there's so many different ways to slice and dice the numbers so yeah. many different ways yeah and you know oftentimes we're dealing with kind of these high growth situations when you develop these models and you do these forecasts how can you use kind of the number side of things to understand how kind of growth plan or growth strategy because i find that that's an interesting one that comes up a lot is is i know like i've got a plan for where i want to be in three years and i know in three years this is really profitable but there may be sections <laughs> within that period that can be problematic tell us a little bit about the forecasting side and how you can do that yep so start with the end goal so if your end goal is to uh double your revenue for 2020 so we're going to put that number way to the right of of our forecast and we're going to look at see you know what are we doing right now and what needs to change then you have to take into effect what marketing efforts are we going to do that are going to bring in the new business and if we do this marketing we can get let's say 10 new clients a month whatever that may be now I have my 10 new clients a month what do I need to support that what expenses are going to get me there and then we just work it month over month you know just formulas we put into a spreadsheet to calculate how do we get from point A to point B but marketing is going to put you know you, how are you going to increase get those new clients in to begin with and then how are we going to support it from a number standpoint but you know you have to have your end goal in mind and then you have to rip apart what you're doing now because what you're doing now works that's great we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and you know we're going to have to increase staff at x point the number is going to tell us that at what point can we 
get to without having to bring on new staff? When do we have to bring on new staff? The numbers are going to tell tell you all of that. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of companies that, and I think this trend is just going to continue, using more freelance and um, you know part-time staff, fractional staff. How do you kind of figure out or, or look at some of these decisions of, you know, I can kind of hire someone on a part-time basis, hourly basis, I can bring them on as a full-time employee, you know, but obviously there's sort of different costs Absolutely. involved in some of those things. Like, give us a sense of how you can use the numbers to kind of make some of those decisions or, sure. or potentially remake some of those decisions as the business grows or as the roles increase, like when I would flip to a full-time employee yeah. and why. So one of the things that we do for many of our clients is we benchmark them. So we're benchmarking them against similar businesses in their industry. Mm-hmm. And that also is a big awakening to see what is the typical margin in certain areas or just in that industry, you know, what is the salary range for this position? So we're going to look at each of those salaries. We're going to look at now we have clients who are not going back to brick and mortar. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? Can we reduce their salary because they don't have to commute? I'm not so sure. There's, you know, there's a few things in there. A lot of people want to just bring people on as subcontractors full-time. You can't do that. Usually if they're full-time, they're not a subcontractor. We're going to get into trouble with the law, so you have to put them on as an employee. But if you're looking to outsource, can you outsource? Well, if you can, and they can legitimately be a subcontractor given a 1099 and not have to go through payroll, well, then you don't have to pay for benefits. You don't have payroll taxes. So there's all those numbers to to work through. And if you don't need somebody full-time and you're in a field that, you know, subcontractors is something that is doable, as long as you're within the law, you usually save a little bit more that way. But, you know, it all depends on the end goal. Um, You know, a subcontractor, they may not be 100% dedicated to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it really depends on on their business. Do you need full-time? Some people want the full-time, some people don't. It's very individual. Yeah. It's very individual. You just have to work through the numbers on that one. Yeah, and I think, I mean, yeah, in the end, it can be a sort of a complicated business decision, but I do find that having the numbers gives you, you know, a great tool to kind of bring into the mix and and vice versa. If you don't have the numbers, you can often make poor decisions. (laughs) Absolutely. that's what wrong, happens. That's what generation. happens. They do make poor decisions with that because they're based that they're flying blind. You know, yeah. it's like the pilot flying the airplane without the controls. Yeah. They're just flying blind. Yeah, I find a lot of those are kind of knowing where your break even or where your where the inversion is on the on the decision. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, like if I'm you know, if we're not gonna have more than twenty hours a week of work on this thing, we're better off with freelancers. Right. But if we think we can consistently, you know, on a quarterly basis generate at least twenty hours a week. You know of this uh, of this work. You know we're better off bringing them in full time because we've got other roles they can do, and then you know then it makes sense. Exactly, and you get more dedication that way. And really, you know, in the eyes of at least in the state of New Jersey, if somebody is performing the main function of your business, they're not supposed to be a ten ninety nine. Yeah, they're not supposed to be subcontracts. You know, so if then you know we're an accounting firm, we outsource our HR, we outsource Mm -hmm. our marketing. We outsource our IT. You know, I don't need, we're small, I don't need a full-time IT person. Mm-hmm. I don't need a full-time HR. Marketing sometimes is questionable, but, um, <laughs> but you know, so I could legitimately do that. Yeah. But really, 
and we don't. We don't have any, everybody who works for me as an employee. Uh, but I do know other firms that subcontract out bookkeepers, let's say. Yeah. And really, I don't think that's what it's meant for. So. Yeah. And give us a couple of, just a couple of things that, you know, business owners, business leaders can think about, particularly for service companies. You know, if they're feeling like they really haven't mastered the kind of the books, the number side of their business, a couple of things they can start with in terms of starting to get that, that, that together, start getting their hands around it, you know, being a little bit more of masters of the, of the number side of their business. Yeah. A couple of steps they can take. Just very simply, everybody should use an accounting program like an accounting software. We love QuickBooks, that's what we use, QuickBooks Online primarily. Get your data in there, do your invoicing from QuickBooks, pay your bills from QuickBooks, and reconcile the account. Once you reconcile the account, you've matched everything that you thought was supposed to happen did happen. So if you thought you were getting $10,000 in, when you reconciled, that money didn't come in, you'll see it. So that's the first thing you want to do. Make sure that you reconcile your banks every single month. Mm -hmm. After you reconcile, you need to look at the P&L and the balance sheet. And you need to click into each line item and make sure that everything has been categorized correctly. If you bring up your P&L and you see negative amounts, there's a good chance something has been posted incorrect. Yeah. You know, if you see, and, and look at it month over month, you know, there's so many good basic reports in QuickBooks. There's some advanced ones too, but at a very basic level, just look at that P&L and look at it month over month and see the trends. It's going to be eye-opening. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people kind of uh, pretty wide-eyed yeah. <laughs> after they look in the details and, and they, they realize kind the of details. how things have been working. Yeah. And everybody, you know, that's at minimum. There's obviously so much more you could do to slice and dice your numbers and look at different KPIs. But at minimum, every single business should be doing that. Yeah. Judy, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Jade, what's the best way to get that information? I would say go to my website. It's uh, www.jaddefs. I know it's a little bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> or my LinkedIn profile. Either way. Yeah, I'll put both of those in the show yeah, notes so people thanks. can click through and get that. Thank you for taking the time today. It was, it was fun to kind of talk with folks who are helping businesses figure out their numbers, and it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.